Section 62 of Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aaron Weber. Commentary on the Epistles of Paul the Apostle to the Corinthians, Volume 1, by John Calvin, translated by Rev. John Pringle. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 verses 7 through 17 And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to the battle? So likewise ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? for ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous in spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else, when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest for thou verily givest thanks well but the other is not edified seven nay even things without life he brings forward similitudes first from musical instruments and then afterwards from the nature of things generally there being no voice that has not some peculiarity suitable for distinction even things without life, says he, instruct us. There are, it is true, many random sounds or crashes without any modulation. But Paul speaks here of voices in which there is something of art, as though he had said, A man cannot give life to a harp or flute, but he makes it give forth a sound that is regulated in such a manner that it can be distinguished. How absurd then it is that even men endowed with intelligence should utter a confused indistinguishable sound we must not however enter here upon any minute discussion as to musical harmonies inasmuch as paul has merely taken what is commonly understood as for example the sound of the trumpet of which he speaks shortly afterwards for it is so much calculated to raise the spirits that it rouses up not only men but even horses Hence it is related in historical records that the Lacedaemonians, when joining battle, preferred the use of the flute, lest the army should, at the first charge, rush forward upon the enemy with too keen an onset. In fine, we all know by experience what power music has in exciting men's feelings, so that Plato affirms, and not without good reason, that music has very much effect in influencing, in one way or another, the manners of a state to speak into the air is to beat the air first corinthians nine twenty six to no purpose 
thy voice shall not reach either god or man but shall vanish into air ten none of them dumb he now speaks in a more general way for he now takes in the natural voices of animals he uses the term dumb here to mean confused as opposed to an articulate voice for the barking of dogs differs from the neighing of horses and the roaring of lions from the baying of asses every kind of bird too has its own particular way of singing and chirping the whole order of nature therefore as appointed by god invites us to observe a distinction i shall be to him that speaketh a barbarian the tongue ought to be an index of the mind not merely in the sense of the proverb but in the sense that is explained by aristotle in the commencement of his book on interpretation how foolish then it is and preposterous in a man to utter in an assembly a voice of which the hearer understands nothing in which he perceives no token from which he may learn what the person means it is not without good reason therefore that paul views it as the height of absurdity that a man should be a barbarian to the hearers by chattering in an unknown tongue and at the same time he elegantly treats with derision the foolish ambition of the corinthians who were eager to obtain praise and fame by this means this reward says he you will earn that you will be a barbarian for the term barbarian whether it be an artificial one as strabo thinks or derived from some other origin is taken in a bad sense hence the greeks who looked upon themselves as the only persons who were good speakers and had a polished language gave to all others the name of barbarians from their rude and rustic dialect no language however is so cultivated as not to be reckoned barbarous when it is not understood he that heareth says paul will be unto me a barbarian and i will be so to him in return by these words he intimates that to speak in an unknown tongue is not to hold fellowship with the church but rather to keep aloof from it and that he who will act this part will be deservedly despised by others because he first despises them twelve since you were in pursuit of the spiritual gifts paul concludes that the gift of tongues has not been conferred with the view of giving occasion of boasting to a few without yielding advantage to the church if spiritual gifts says he delight you let the end be edification then only may you reckon that you have attained an excellence that is true and praiseworthy when the church receives advantage from you paul however does not hereby give permission to any one to cherish an ambition to excel even to the benefit of the church but by correcting the fault he shows how far short they come of what they are in pursuit of and at the same time lets them know who they are that should be most highly esteemed he would have a man to be held in higher estimation in proportion as he devotes himself with eagerness to promote edification in the meantime it is our part to have this one object in view that the lord may be exalted and that his kingdom may be from day to day enlarged the term spirits he employs here by metonymi to denote spiritual gifts as the spirit of doctrine or of understanding or of judgment is employed to denote spiritual doctrine or understanding or judgment otherwise we must keep in view what he stated previously that it is one and the same spirit 
who distributeth to every man various gifts according to his will. 1 Corinthians 12.11. 13. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in another tongue, this is an anticipation, by way of reply to a question which might very readily be proposed to him. If any one, therefore, is able to speak in a foreign language, will the gift be useless? Why should that be kept back, which might be brought out to the light, to the glory of God? He shows the remedy. Let him, says he, ask from God the gift of interpretation also. If he is without this, let him abstain in the meantime from ostentation. 14. For if ye pray in another tongue, while this example, too, serves to confirm what he has previously maintained, it forms, at the same time, in my opinion, an additional particular. For it is probable that the Corinthians had been in fault in this respect also, that, as they discoursed, so also they prayed in foreign tongues. At the same time, both abuses took their rise from the same source, as indeed they were comprehended under one class what is meant by praying in a tongue appears from what goes before to frame a prayer in a foreign language the meaning of the term spirit however is not so easily explained the idea of ambrose who refers it to the spirit that we receive in baptism has not only no foundation but has not even the appearance of it augustine takes it in a more refined way as denoting that apprehension which conceives ideas and signs and things so that it is a faculty of the soul that is inferior to the understanding there is more plausibility in the opinion of those who interpret it as meaning the breathing of the throat that is the breath this interpretation however does not accord with the meaning which the term invariably bears in paul's discussion in this place nay more it appears to have been repeated the oftener by way of concession for they glorified in that honorary distinction which Paul, it is true, allows them, while, on the other hand, he shows how preposterous it is to abuse a thing that is good and excellent. It is as though he had said, Thou makest thy boast to me of spirit, but to what purpose, if it is useless? From this consideration I am led to agree with Christostom as to the meaning of this term, who explains it, as in the previous instance, verse 12, to mean a spiritual gift. Thus my spirit will mean the gift conferred upon me. But here a new question arises, for it is not credible, at least we nowhere read of it, that any spoke under the influence of the spirit in a language that was to themselves unknown. For the gift of tongues was conferred, not for the mere purpose of uttering a sound, but, on the contrary, with the view of making a communication. For how ridiculous a thing it would be that the tongue of a roman should be framed by the spirit of god to pronounce greek words which were altogether unknown to the speaker as parrots magpies and crows are taught to mimic human voices if on the other hand the man who was endowed with the gift of tongues did not speak without sense and understanding paul would have had no occasion to say that the spirit prays but the understanding is unfruitful for the understanding must have been conjoined with the spirit I answer that Paul here, for the sake of illustration, makes a supposition that, that had no reality in this way. If the gift of tongues be disjoined from the understanding, 
so that he who speaks is a barbarian to himself as well as to others what good would he do by babbling in this manner for it does not appear that the mind is here said to be unfruitful on the ground of no advantage accruing to the church inasmuch as paul is here speaking of the private prayers of an individual let us therefore keep it in view that things that are connected with each other are here disjoined for the sake of illustration not on the ground that it either can or usually does so happen the meaning is now obvious if therefore i frame prayers in a language that is not understood by me and the spirit supplies me with words the spirit indeed itself which regulates my tongue will in that case pray but my mind will either be wandering somewhere else or at least will have no part in the prayer let us take notice that paul reckons it a great fault if the mind is not occupied in prayer and no wonder for what else do we in prayer but pour out our thoughts and desires before god further as prayer is the spiritual worship of god what is more at variance with the nature of it than that it should proceed merely from the lips not from the inmost soul and these things must have been perfectly familiar to every mind had not the devil besotted the world to such a degree as to make men believe that they pray aright when they merely make their lips move so obstinate too are papists in their madness that they do not merely justify the making of prayers without understanding but even prefer that the unlearned should mutter in unknown mumblings meanwhile they mock god as an acute sophism that the final intention is enough or in other words that it is an acceptable service to god if a spaniard curses god in the german language while in his mind he is tossed with various profane cares provided only he shall by setting himself in his form of prayer make up matters with god by means of a thought that quickly vanishes i will pray with the spirit lest any one should ask by way of objection will the spirit then be useless in prayer he teaches that it is lawful indeed to pray with the spirit provided the mind is at the same time employed that is the understanding he allows therefore and sanctions the use of a spiritual gift in prayer but requires what is the main thing that the mind be not unemployed when he says i will sing psalms or i will sing he makes use of a particular instance instead of a general statement for as the praises of god were the subject matter of the psalms he means by the singing of psalms blessing god or rendering thanks to him for in our supplications we either ask something from god or we acknowledge some blessing that has been conferred upon us from this passage however we at the same time infer that the custom of singing was even at that time in use among the believers as appears also from pliny who writing at least forty years or thereabouts after the death of paul mentions that the christians were accustomed to sing psalms to christ before daybreak i have also no doubt that from the very first they followed the custom of the jewish church in singing psalms sixteen else if thou wilt bless with the spirit hitherto he has been showing that the prayers of every one of us will be in vain and unfruitful if the understanding does not go along with the voice he now comes to speak of public prayers also if he that frames or utters forth prayers in the name of the people is not understood by the assembly how will the common people add an expression of their desires in the close 
so as to take part with them for there is no fellowship in prayer unless when all with one mind unite in the same desires the same remark applies to blessing or giving thanks to god paul's expression however intimates that some one of the ministers uttered or pronounced prayers in a distinct voice and that the whole assembly followed in their minds the words of that one person until he had come to a close and then they all said amen to intimate that the prayer offered up by that one person was that of all of them in common it is known that amen is a hebrew word derived from the same term from which comes the word that signifies faithfulness or truth it is accordingly a token of confirmation both in affirming and in desiring farther as the word was from long use familiar among the jews it made its way from them to the gentiles and the greeks made use of it as if it had belonged originally to their own language hence it came to be a term in common use among all nations now paul says if in public prayer thou makest use of a foreign tongue that is not understood by the unlearned and the common people among whom thou speakest there will be no fellowship and thy prayer or blessing will be no longer a public one why no one says he can add his amen to thy prayer or psalm if he does not understand it papists on the other hand reckon that to be a sacred and legitimate observance which paul so decidedly rejects in this they discover an amazing impudence nay more this is a clear token from which we learn how grievously and with what unbridled liberty satan rages in the dogmas of popery for what can be clearer than those words of paul that an unlearned person cannot take any part in public prayer if he does not understand what is said what can be plainer than this prohibition let not prayers or thanksgiving be offered up in public except in the vernacular tongue in doing every day what paul says should not or even cannot be done do they not reckon him to be illiterate in observing with the utmost strictness what he forbids do they not deliberately contemn god we see then how satan sports among them with impunity their diabolical obstinacy shows itself in this that when admonished they are so far from repenting that they defend this gross abuse by fire and sword end of section sixty two